at the end of the day, our job description as a friend, I would say as a fellow human is to say, how can I leave this person feeling better about who they are, about their life, about their job, about like how they're showing up. How can I leave them feeling more hopeful and more inspired? And sometimes that's commiseration and it's empathy and it's saying, I totally get why you feel that way. That is so frustrating. And that leaves me feeling seen and feeling better. You are listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast, a place to grow, learn, and be inspired as you discover God's purpose for your life. Here's your host, the pastor you've always wanted without the church, Dr. Kumar Dixit. Hey, welcome back to Concierge Minister Podcast. I am your Concierge Minister, Kumar Dixit, and I, I've been thinking a lot about um, what really matters at the in, in the end of of, of your life, um, and I'm not even at the end of my life, but you know, <laughs> I've, I've been just thinking, what are the really things things that matter? And especially because I work at a hospice, um, one of the things I've realized that is when people are dying, um, I know a lot of people wish that they were thinking about like their last sins or trying to convert to Christianity and have that thief on the cross experience. But my experience has been that when people are dying, they're thinking about relationships. Um, They're Mm -hmm. wanting to either reconcile um, a relationship or they are trying to deepen a relationship and let someone know how much they deeply, deeply care about them. And um, over the last 25 years, I have known um, Shasta Nelson. Um, We were both college students back in the day. We kind of um, bounced around and kind of met up at different conferences. And I've kind of watched Shasta um, grow into this incredible speaker, TED Talk speaker. She's written three books. She has appeared on the Katie Kirk show, the um, Today Show. Um, many different magazines and newspapers like the Washington Post, but most importantly, she has appeared on the Steve Harvey show. So Shasta, welcome. <laughs> How awesome. Tell, you got to tell us like some, like, first of all, it's a mustache reel and give us some kind of like, you know, gossip about, about Steve Harvey. Ay, Yeah. Well, I can't vouch for the mustache. It looks real from where I was at, but <laughs> You know, I think one of the hard things I noticed when I was like just watching him is I think he films like four or five shows in one day. So you could just tell like when the cameras came on, as many of us do on our social media and in life, it's like there he is. And when those cameras go off, it's like there's just nothing. And you just probably have to reserve the energy. But yeah, yeah. when you're a guest on the show, you're just like, wow, this man is doing a lot. So you just wow. have a lot of respect for somebody trying to meet so many people and act 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 interested in so many people. And yeah, that was a that's a serious man who keeps up some very big commitments. Well, that's awesome. And I, I, I actually watched that episode. I actually saw you on Steve Harvey and saw you on the Today Show. And I was like, hey, there's my college friend. I'm so glad. <laughs> glad to see you. And now awesome. you've written a, a, another book called The Business of Friendship. You know, I think it was about 10, maybe 15 years ago. And as I was preparing for this interview, I was trying to find it because I actually have the actual printout. Uh-oh. Probably 15, <laughs> no, no, no. About 15 years ago, I read, a, I read a sociological study that I've kept in my files about the, 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 the fact that the greatest epidemic that Americans are going to be experiencing. Now, this is 15 years ago. This is like almost before Facebook or social media. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. This, this sociological study said that the greatest epidemic that Americans are experiencing and will go through is loneliness. Mm. 
And, uh, and then right around that time, I ended up reading the book Bowling Alone, um, yeah. you know, that I think it was by Putnam. And, and it, it really helped shape my understanding of what people, mm. you know, even though you seem busy, even though you seem like you have like an amazing Instagram profile, you can be really, really lonely at heart. And I think that's yeah. what you've kind of discovered and you've been writing about. Yeah, and I was just so uh, pleased, if that's the right word, to see that there's a brand new book coming out, I think this month, called A Century of the, Cent the Century of Loneliness. Oh. And I was just reading some of her research because I'm often asked by reporters, so my expertise is how to build meaningful friendships. And as part of that, I'm just trained to be like, okay, what are we trying to solve for? What's the problem before we just start giving the answer? So I do speak a lot to loneliness and I have read as much of the research as I possibly can, but my expertise is more how to build relationships. So when somebody comes along with like answering the question, why are we so lonely? I was like reading this interview with her uh, this morning and I was just so taken with her, with her research on just saying, you know, we have gotten so caught up that freedom is more important than community and that capitalism has kind of just become the the way we do things and it's just her list of like what we've done collectively and over time to just kind of chip away at our need to belong and to be together and it is just such a confluence of events that yeah we often blame social media but to your point this was happening before social media, we're having smaller families, we're moving more frequently, we are more likely to have no family around us or near us. And we are, um, yeah, just experiencing a lot of shifts and dynamics where we are, you know, if you just think about changing jobs or changing um, cities or kind of life stages as frequently as we do now, the research is showing we are replacing half our close friends every seven years. Wow. So you can pretty much quickly see, and I, I often say, you know, think about who you would have, who would you say are the people you're closest to right now? Like who are those, that handful of people? And chances are high that two or three of the people you would name now as the people you would confide in aren't the same people you would have named seven years ago. And so you can quickly see how much there's kind of a revolving door there. And if you're not constantly, you know, even if, if, if you can just have everything stay the same, maybe, but otherwise, you're kind of losing relationships and you have to be re rebuilding them. So, yeah, there's a lot of space for many of us to be wishing for more connection and more intimacy and more more depth there. And, yeah, that that opposite of that is loneliness. And to your yeah. point, I don't think it's a word that many of us like name. We don't be like, ooh, ooh I'm lonely. But that's right. what it is. That is that feeling. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the idea that we are kind of replacing our friends over and over again. Um, I, I do definitely want to talk about um, the book, The Business of Friendship, but I have a personal question to ask you yeah, before, yeah, we yeah. before we dig into the book. So, and you, and you just brought it up. So this, this is perfect. Uh, probably 15 to 20 years ago, the great prophet Oprah Winfrey said the following <laughs> statement. She said, Sometimes in friendships, there are friend shifts. Mm -hmm. And it's okay for a friendship to have a shift. And mm -hmm. um, I, I really took note of that and I've used that over my life because I, I'm an extreme extrovert. I mean, so most of the friends that I have today will likely not be my friends next week. <laughs> okay. And I won't even, I won't even <laughs> they're miss all them. Listening and they're like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> exactly. I won't even miss them. I don't want to remember their names, but you know, 
but in reality, you know, over the last 25 years, like the people that I hang out exclusively right now were not people that I was hanging out with even seven years ago. And so sometimes there's a loss, there's an experience um, of mourning those friendships. Um, and one of the things, and maybe I say it too callously to my friends, I'm like, hey, it's friend shift. I mean, I love you, but it's a friend shift. So can you talk a little bit about that, that reality of how, um, not all of us are going to have the same best friend for 40 years. Yeah, we aren't going to have a best friend for 40 years all the time. And I think you're speaking to the fact that it's, it is this balance in life that those who seem to feel the most fulfilled have those relationships that are kind of like present for the season and, you know, can kind of hold and support and be present and consistent in our lives right now. And we do see that we are happiest if we feel like we are able to maintain some friendships over that seven year gap, right? And so if we're constantly, every time we move to a new city or a new church or a new job, and we're just kind of like, well, I'm in this new situation now, and we just kind of like don't maintain any relationships from that past, you can see how it takes a long time. Uh, one of the studies that came out a year and a half ago that showed um, it takes about 200 hours, we self-report before we go from stranger to best friend, and which is a crazy amount of hours. And so you think about if you just kind of say, I'm going to meet this person once a month for lunch, which is pretty consistent for a lot of us. It's going to take you years before you really feel this intimacy, support, and closeness. And if after five, seven years, you move to another area and start all over, what you're going to be lonely for, and this is where I think so much of my research has been really driven for me, is my first book was on how to make friends as an adult, because we have to keep doing this. The right. second book, though, was really to this point, And it is, I'm looking around and looking at most people I'm in interacting with and their loneliness, our loneliness, has less to do with not knowing enough people and it's mm. not feeling known by a few. So we're not so much lonely for just more events and more people and more friends on social media. When we're lonely, it's not for more interaction, most of us, it's for more intimacy. And that's where we have to have that more longevity. That's where we have to put in the 200 hours and then keep investing and reaping the benefits from that. And so I do think that's where it gets tricky though, for, you know, like to your point is that we can't, we can't constantly be just starting over and yet at the same time, it's not realistic to just think that whoever we were friends with in high school are going to be the same people that we're close and supported and living life with now. And I think that's where it gets really tricky for a lot of us is how do I maintain a few and keep those relationships meaningful? And how do I keep practicing building new friendships? And most of us are better at one of those than the other. Mm, that's, that's deep. That is deep. <laughs> and I, I do want to get to that int intimacy part um, in, in a few minutes. But tell me about um, the business of friendship. Why, why did you write this book? Um, what are you trying to accomplish with, with this book? Yeah, well, and I was saying to my, the reason I wrote the second book was really wanting to speak to the fact that when we think of the word lonely, we are so quick to think of this uh, recluse or this person who has no friends and this person who's isolated. And that's just not what I was finding that most of us when we're lonely, it's because we, we actually could be busy every night and have a huge social network and still be lonely because we don't really feel that intimate and that known by a few. And when I start diving into like, why is that? Where are we, what are we missing that's preventing us from feeling deep enough and intimate enough with a few people? Uh, I teach there's three requirements to all healthy relationships. And those come out of science. When you look at all the studies, these are the three things that emerge consistently. And one of them is consistency, meaning 
we repeat our interaction. We have shared experiences that are repetitive and regular. And those are the 200 hours, so to speak. And that's right. where we end up kind of logging the hours and building the history. And that was the one that most of us struggle with. When we ask, like, why do you not feel closer to people? It's I don't have time, right? And so that's our right. answer. I don't have time. I don't have that much time to be that consistent. I've got my kids and I've got my spouse and I've got my work and I have like exercise and I need alone time. And like we go down the list of everything we need and we're just like, you might be lucky if you talk me in a one more phone call a week or something, but that's right. not going to make the difference. And that's where I kind of stepped back and I said, this is not a personal problem. When you have 61% of Americans, and I should say that's same as Australia, same as the UK, Okay, we've got those numbers in other countries. Um, when you have 61% of us saying we're lonely more often than not, this is not because I don't have social skills. This is we have a collective issue, a systemic issue where we are not oriented to the right things. And that to me is where I was like, I need to start speaking to the systems, not to the individual, to the systems. And I wanted to start with a system where we spend most of our time and say, if we are not talking about building meaningful relationships in our work lives, which is arguably the bulk of our day, uh, then if we come home lonely from that or stay home lonely after that, then we aren't, we're not going to make it up in our, on our off hours. And one of the studies that was super compelling is that when I quote that 61% of us feel lonely on a regular basis, if you interview the people who feel connected, the 40, the 39% who are saying, I feel like I have fulfilling relationships, 99% of those people say they have meaningful relationships at work. Uh, it's just it's pretty much virtually impossible for us to make up our social needs in our non-work hours. So to me, I was like, if we can start addressing kind of where we spend the bulk of our time, where we're making our biggest contributions, where we're showing up in the world, doing what it is we want to do. This is kind of work is kind of to adults what school was to us as kids. And this is where we need to be getting our social needs met. Do you feel like, um, do you feel like friendship, especially when we're talking about work friendships, there's a correlation between friendship and um proximity and what i mean by that is like my last job you know i was working 50 60 hours a week i was like just i had you know what jokingly what we call the work wife and you know and even when i wasn't at work we were still texting each other all of our you know our group we were going out to dinner at times we were going to each other's birthday parties for our children and then i stopped working there and yeah. um, all of a sudden because of the proximity um, I still love those people. and I think they care deeply mm -hmm. about me as well. But mm -hmm. that connection is not the same anymore. Um, you know, maybe yeah. once a month. I mean, we, yeah, once a sure. month we may, you know, we may talk to each other. But so what? what, what is that? Well, that's actually impressive that you've stayed in touch with them. And even once a month is impressive. So like, yay, Kumar. Because <laughs> what so often happens, honestly, is where work is the number one place we make friends as adults. So that's interesting in and of itself, is that we're kind of uncomfortable with it. And we don't talk about it that often. And we think it's kind of weird. And yet it is the number one place we're making friends. But what kind of hits us all uh, kind of off gets us a little off guard too is that it's also the number one place we lose most of our friendships mm. because when i speak of consistency being one of the three requirements of relationship we were paid to be consistent we were paid to have that proximity of which you speak we were paid yeah. to basically show up and interact and so suddenly when one of us no longer works there what usually happens unfortunately is that that friendship has no practice 
having a consistency outside of when they're paid to be together. And they have no practice that one person inviting the other, one person making a phone call, one person inviting them over to something. And so the friendship usually dies. And then I hear the grieving person six months later saying, well, I guess they weren't good friends or, well, I guess they're just selfish. I guess it's toxic. I guess they didn't really love me as much as I love them. And we get our feelings really hurt. And we think that, that we kind of feel devalued and feel like the relationship wasn't what we thought it was. And I'm usually quick to say, it was probably an amazing relationship, but you lost the automatic consistency that came from that proximity. And without one of you making the initiation to create a new pattern, a new consistency, how are you going to interact? What are you going to do together when you're no longer paid to do it? Uh, that's the only thing that's missing. It's not that you didn't love each other. It's not that you weren't good friends. It's not that she or he is not a good person. It's usually that we just don't know how to put rebuild that consistency in a new way. So the very fact that you can even stay in touch with them once a month is honorable and amazing because that usually doesn't happen, unfortunately. That's great. And thank you for making me feel better about myself. I, <laughs> I, I do miss them. You are listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast with Kumar Dixit. Coming up. The more positivity we have, the more I feel good for having interacted with you, the more consistent I'm going to want to be, and the more safe it's going to feel to be honest and open with you. And then when I'm honest and open with you and vulnerable with you, the most important action I need back is positive emotion again, which is I need either empathy or appreciation or something that leaves me saying, I'm not being judged here. I'm accepted. Hey, this is your concierge minister, Kumar Dixit. If you're looking for a place to grow deeper in your understanding of who God is, or seeking a safe place to ask questions, I want to invite you to visit our website, conciergeminister.com. If you've given up on the church but still desire to grow in your own relationship with God, I would love to help you reach your spiritual goals. Just visit conciergeminister.com and schedule a 30-minute session with me. Um, I read your book. I was really um, taken by chapter seven. The, it's, it's called How to Develop Relationships at Work That Are Vulnerable. And I, I felt like you had a really great summary about kind of just the idea that, you know, one of the reasons why we don't want to be friends with people is that vulnerability. Um, and I think you kind of helped clarify that vulnerability doesn't mean just spilling all your secrets. <laughs> you know, you, you don't have to just um, kind of have diarrhea mouth and just tell everybody like, <laughs> you know, your deep, dark secret from when you were like 12 years old. It's yeah, there, in fact, a, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so speak a little bit about vulnerability, what you mean by that. Cause I think that was a, for me, that was a, a new idea of, of, of understanding what vulnerability means in the context of work. Yes. So vulnerability is really, uh, we want to be seen for who we are. Um, even if it's just a one-time lunch or a one-time conversation, you and I having this conversation, we each want to end this conversation feeling seen, feeling like the other person noticed us, that we mattered, that we, we, were, we were witnessed by the other person. And that's the lowest level, right? So just kind of being seen in, an, in a moment, in a meeting, in a project. Uh, and then as we practice that in increasing ways, uh, we would obviously, uh, the highest level of vulnerability means processing our emotions with each other and sharing and being transparent and having the other person impact and give feedback into what who we are and what we are and and really participating in that but that's a really that's a big spectrum and i teach everything as it's not should we be vulnerable or not it's how much should we be vulnerable or not and what's appropriate for this moment and for this relationship and it should be in conjunction with how consistent we've been how much of a relationship have i already built with this person and my vulnerability should mirror that for so for some of us 
we are too vulnerable where we think that if we're just kind of vulnerable, it will bond us and we'll get there. And we're just like, my heart is on my sleeve. I'm an open book. And we have all these phrases and we think that that's like the way we should be. And it might be a one-time stranger and we're just like, blah, 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 blah. And we yeah. think that's healthy and that's not healthy, any more healthy than the reverse, which is being in a long-term relationship and not really showing up and being, letting our opinions show up, letting our feelings show. So vulnerability speaks more is less about disclosing uh like details and secrets and it has more to do with just letting ourselves be seen in this moment you know for what the what's appropriate in this context and that means like in a workplace setting vulnerability means do i feel safe throwing out a crazy idea to solve this problem do i feel safe saying i actually don't know how to solve this problem i need help or i know you told me this before but i can't remember uh vulnerability means saying that hurt my feelings when you did that or i don't actually feel like my voice is being heard here vulnerability means uh yeah anything that takes creativity anything that takes you know when i think about diversity and inclusion it's one thing to have diversity the inclusion part is vulnerable it's like am i willing to let your differences and who you are that's other than me be not just not just you being a token at the table, but I'm willing, am I willing to hear your story and to say, how do you see this? How do you perceive this? How is it different than how I perceive it? And like, take that and believe that. Uh, vulnerability is being willing to say, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. And these are all things when we actually look at what makes, uh, when we say what we want at work, we want to say, I want to feel like my ideas matter. I interviewed so many people who said, um, I actually know how to solve the problem, but nobody ever asks me, mm -hmm. you know, and that's like, or I know how to fix this, but nobody cares. And I mean, that's vulnerability to say, Hey, I have an idea. Let me raise it. Let me bring it up and let me show up and be available and be present. And so, yeah, vulnerability is, is not about disclosing drama as much as it's like, I'm here and this is who I am and what I can bring to the table, my strengths, my personality, my what makes me different, what what kind of yeah. lights me up, what energizes me. And it also really to a large degree, I'm way more passionate about, I think it's harder to be vulnerable around our successes and our celebrations. And I'm really big on that because I think it's easier to sit around and vent and whine and complain than it is to show up and to be like, this is where I shined. Where did you yeah. shine? This is how I'm proud of myself. How are you proud of yourself? Here's what we accomplished together. I think that takes incredible vulnerability to show up and to say, we're amazing. And and that's hard to do. So as vulnerability yeah, is just like being that. willing to be seen for all of who we are. And, I, and I, I think that, you know, the way I read vulnerability was kind of like a first cousin to just being in a trusting relationship, you know? So once you feel trusted, once you feel as if you're, you're safe, then you're able to speak up and around the conference room without wondering what people are going to think about you. Then you're able to actually um, disclose a little bit about your, your, your life um, that gives context of who you are in your past. And um, I, I really liked um, that there, there's a, there's a one page in your book where you says, where it says three ways to increase vulnerability. And um, I don't know if you remember back when Oprah had her magazine and Dr. Phil used to write a column in it, but he used to um, write a verbatim um, what to say. And it was almost yes. like a script, you know, yep, and, yep, I, and, yep. when I, and when I read this, I felt like you were kind of like saying, okay, how to engage small talk with new people. And then you gave specific things to talk about. And I think that for me was very helpful to, to kind of just say, okay, here are some topics that are safe and here are ways that you can talk with other people. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, Kumar, uh, this might be a good point. We've mentioned two of the three requirements. So when we look at all the 
every study and, you know, Google talks about psychological safety. And uh, when we look at marriage and relationships, what makes two people feel any closer than any two people? Why do I call this person my best friend and not this, this person? There's three things that show up and we've named two of them consistency, which is putting in the time and building the pattern. And that's where you were speaking of the word trust. This is where we feel safe because I feel safe with you. If in the past you have proven yourself to be somebody who is safe and reliable. And so the more you, the more I can predict how Kumar is going to respond in this situation, the safer I feel. And I can predict based upon past experience. So the more interaction we have, the safer I feel. Uh, that's consistency. And then vulnerability is as me being willing to be curious about you and being willing to show up and be seen for who I am. And then the third requirement, because without the third requirement, these other two just are not worth doing. The third requirement is the foundation of the triangle. It's the bottom layer of the triangle and it's positivity. And that's mm. positive emotion. And so at the end of the day, any one of us in relationship, we want to be in relationship because we want it to feel good. And how we define good might look different. Some of us might say, I need laughter. And others might say, I need empathy. And, you know, and so we could describe whether it's uh, words of affirmation or gratitude or enjoyment or pride or celebration or all those good feelings. At the end of the day, we want to enjoy the person we're hanging out with. We want to feel accepted by this person. And so the more positivity we have, the more I feel good for having interacted with you, the more consistent I'm going to want to be and the more safe it's going to feel to be honest and open with you. And then when I'm honest and open with you and vulnerable with you, the most important action I need back is positive emotion again, yeah. which is I need either empathy or appreciation or something that leaves me saying, I'm not being judged here. I'm accepted, right? And that's what we're all craving. We don't want to just be seen. We want to feel accepted. And in order for us to feel accepted, which is positive emotion, we have to feel seen, which is vulnerability. But nobody's just craving to be more seen if we're going to be judged. And so all three of these have to be in conjunction with each other. And they have to continue to be practiced where I need to feel seen. It needs to feel safe from consistency. And it needs to feel satisfying from positivity. And if any time, one of these three things breaks down, that relationship is not going to be able to grow deeper and more meaningful because we're going to pull back. We're not going to want to be as consistent. We're not going to want to show up and share as much. Uh, and we're not going to want to express our love and our, our, our adoration for each other. And those are the yeah. things we crave, but those are the things that also get stopped if we, if we don't, you know, if it ends up not feeling like that's what we're getting from the other person. No, that's really great. And I, and I love how the, at the base of the triangle is that positivity. I remember years ago, I went to a um, Willow Creek conference and they gave out little armbands. This is back when the armband thing was popular. And um, on, the, on, on the armband, it said, what's right with your world? And the, mm. idea, the idea was all we do is just bitch about what's going on in our life all the time. Yeah. And oftentimes, yeah. like I've yeah. been part of that where you kind of find like a group of like two or three coworkers and all you do is just regurgitate the same like crazy stuff about the boss or some, you know, there's some weak, weak person in your office that you're always kind of like, you know, frustrated with because they can't pull up, you know, according to what you want them to do. And when you start changing your worldview and you start asking that question, what's right in this world, then you're looking for it and you're encouraging that in others to, to come out as, as well. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I mean, and not to say that we can't, um, you know, bemoan things together and resonate and commiserate. And that is an important part. The question really is, how do I leave the other person feeling for having been in my presence? You know, and so if every time they're around me, do they leave feeling more discouraged and more frustrated and more eh and just heavy? They might not even realize it, but unconsciously, they're just going to not want to keep hanging out with me all that much, even if we think we're just agreeing with each other. At yeah. the end of the day, our job description as a friend 
I would say as a fellow human is to say, how can I leave this person feeling better about who they are, about their life, about their job, about like how they're showing up? How can I leave them feeling more hopeful and more inspired? And sometimes that's commiseration and it's empathy and it's saying, I totally get why you feel that way. That is so frustrating. And that leaves me feeling seen and feeling better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if every time you're just adding on and piling on, you can see why people aren't going to want to keep gravitating to us <laughs> because yeah. people, we are all hungry. We just want to feel good. We just want to feel accepted. We want to feel like it's going to be okay. And uh, we're craving that, especially in a world right now. I will just say uh, one more thing. When I looked at the science of that positive emotion for a relationship to be healthy, um, you'll remember I talk about in the book that we have to have uh, five five positive emotions for every negative emotion, mm. which is a really big deal. So the more negative emotions we have either between the two of us, you know, she's always, she's always late. He always talks about himself. Like uh, then the yeah. more positive emotion we have to have to kind of make up for it. We have to have like five mm. deposits for every withdrawal. But then wow. you think about a world right now where it's just, there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of stuff. And it becomes even more imperative that we become people in our relationships that say, I'm going to do my best to help you leave my presence, whether it's a five minute conversation or an hour or all afternoon, whatever, I want you to leave feeling more loved and more, you know, more hopeful about the world. And that's who we're going to want to keep hanging out with. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. You know, when, when I was reading this book, I was thinking about um, my last job where I had a corner office facing Connecticut Avenue, Northwest DC. It was Mm. in this just plush, plush, you know, um, office building and people came and went, I took the metro into DC. And, um, you know, six months later, we're all working from home now. And Mm. we are um, not going to work, we're not sitting around the lunch table, we're not going out to eat, we're all on zoom meetings, you know, so your book, I believe is even more important for for people who are now not connected in physical proximity. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you shaping that? How are you shaping that, that narrative for um, friendships that may exist online, but not live in person? Yeah, so we do know that relationships can be as meaningful for maintaining, uh, whether no matter how we're connecting and communicating. So videos certainly can uh, do that. Uh, Facebook groups, all kinds of different uh, technology and remote ways can be meaningful and bonding. What becomes more difficult in this time or more important for us to understand? So when you look at positivity, vulnerability, and consistency, those three things, if they happen, two people will bond. I can guarantee any two people will bond if and when those two, when those three things are present. Mm-hmm. So it matters less what tools they're using. It matters more that those three things are practiced. What becomes more important and difficult right now when we're all working from home potentially is that consistency piece that felt more automatic. It's the equivalent, I would say, of if you're, if you're sending your kids to school and you can just, they go out to recess and they're just going to play with 25 other kids and then you decide to homeschool them. You can't just send them in the backyard and expect them to run into 25 other kids. You know, you have to, if right. you want them to have a social life as, as a homeschooling parent, you have to plan that and be very intentional about it. And it can be as meaningful and they can be as social, but it has to be more planned. It's not just going to happen. And that's the world we're in right now is that if we want to maintain relationships if we want to feel connected unfortunately we just lost one of the most automatic ways one of the few automatic ways to have that consistency built and i always am quick to say so 
there's two ways to build consistency. It has to be built. Uh, you could have an amazing, 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 amazing conversation with somebody on the plane or at a networking event or wherever. And if it's not repeated, it was just an amazing experience and that you're, it's not a friendship. It has to be repeated over and over to build a relationship. And there's only two ways to build that consistency. One is to join something or uh, that is consistent. So that's where a lot of us build relationships with our kids at the kids' school or in our religious organization or in a networking association or in an online community or at our job. So we're just showing up at that thing and we don't have to invite people. We don't have to initiate. We don't have to schedule. We're just saying yes and we're opting in. And we might roll our eyes and we might say there's too many meetings or I don't want to go or I don't, yeah. But if we just go to that book club every month, that is consistency that we don't have to necessarily initiate. And so mm. your two options are show up at something regularly that has the same people over and over and over. And your only other option, and people hate to hear this, but the only other option is you have to initiate it and schedule it yourself. Mm. And so you either have to look at your life and say, I have plenty of things where I'm showing up in the same places over and over and seeing the people and I'm building, and I'm therefore adding vulnerability and positivity. So it's happening. And if that's not your only other way to get consistency is to reach out, to initiate and to do the scheduling and then to do it again and then mm. to do it again yeah. and then to do it yeah. again. And most relationships die because we do it. And then we say, the ball is in their court. <laughs> right, and right. that's where most relationships go to die because it's not that anyone didn't like the other person. It's that the consistency never took up. Yeah. I think what you're talking about is there, you have to get into a routine. I mean, human beings totally. um, thrive on routine. Babies, toddlers thrive on routine. We need to have some kind of level of something to expect. And especially when we're living in an age of inconsistency to be able to put in some level of consistency is always gonna be helpful, I think. Yeah, and to your point, if anything we can do now that creates, even if we have to initiate it ourselves, if we can initiate something that's routine, that is all the better. So if we can say, yeah. uh, every Monday morning, let's just check in for 15 minutes and talk, talk, share one thing that we're looking forward to about the week, or if we can get together every Sunday, the, the third Sunday of every month, or if we can do virtual lunch every Wednesday, you know, whatever it is, if it becomes routine, then you're maximizing your shared experience and minimizing the actual logistics it took to get there. Mm. And that's where most of us get exhausted is in the logistics and the scheduling and the back and forth and the planning three weeks out. So anytime we can create something, you know, I just have a zoom appointment with four of my girlfriends every Sunday at five o'clock. We don't have to email back and forth. We don't have to confirm it. We don't have to figure out where we're meeting or how to get there, the parking. Like it's yeah. just, that's happening every single week and we just drop into it. And so we get the, the value of that is that we get to spend all of our time, seeing each other and witnessing each other and loving each other up and very little of our time is going into logistics because that's just a standing date. So it, yeah, anytime we can create something that's a routine, our energy is maximized. Uh, final question. So what are you binge watching on Netflix these days? <laughs> oh my, yeah, it's it's funny with binge watching it every couple of days. It's a different thing, isn't it? Right. So I just finished Mon the money heist. It was incredible. Did so watch, good. Did you watch it in Spanish or? Well, it was dubbed, but yeah, okay. but it was so, so, so good. Have you seen that one? I have. And I watched it in Spanish. And if I would have, if I would have uh, talked to you before, I would have, I've told all my friends, watch it in Spanish with the subtitles because yeah. it is so incredible. Yeah. I just thought it was such a good show because you know, 
that they're going to make it, but you never know how. And I just yeah. love that. So that was really good because there's you've got the drama and the mystery without like a bunch of violence and stuff like that. Right now we just got into, my husband chose Away with Hilary Swank. Have you seen that one? It looks, no. we've done two episodes and I'm hooked. Okay. So yeah, it's okay. the first mission to Mars. So very good. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So I am in the middle of watching um, the new Karate Kid. Have you seen, seen mm. it? Um, yeah, it's like it's Ralph Macchio. It's like the old, some of the old stars, <laughs> and they're coming back 35 years later. And, and he never ages. <laughs> he doesn't. It's crazy. And now they're talking about Elizabeth Shue, who was like my dream as a child. Um, she may be coming, <laughs> coming for the third um, season. So it's gonna be pretty exciting. Nice. So nice. It's amazing how, uh, yeah, they have just changed our entertainment styles to do the now if we have to wait a whole week in between, it just feels like yeah, exactly. So I'm gonna just Give me the whole thing. <laughs> all at once. Exactly. It's so great to connect with you. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the good work you're doing in helping others practice consistency, vulnerability and positivity. You're doing yeah. that and creating community and I so admire it. Um, your book can be found everywhere books are sold, The Business of Friendship. And I um, just applaud you for really um, tackling a, an epidemic that we are experiencing in, in this country and around the world. So blessings to you and, and everything that you're up to. Thank you so much. And yeah, we're craving community. So again, thank you for helping foster that the ways that you do. Hey, if you are an exclusive member of the Concierge Minister um, website, you are going to be able to listen to uh, another short um, episode with Shasta. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the Concierge Minister podcast. If you want to learn more about growing in your faith or looking for an online faith community for support while you're on your journey, please visit concierge or send us an email at concierge at gmail.com. Don't forget to click the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating. If you find this podcast helpful, please tell your friends about us. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, go and live your best life.